And turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Exodus, chapter 2. We're back with our friend Moses. And uh, if you were here last week, we left Moses in a bit of trouble. And he got himself into it. It wasn't my fault or yours, but he's in trouble, isn't he? Remember? Oh, you're right about that. Good for you, Rusty. Way to remember. I want you to read your Bibles. That would be very unpastoral of me to tell you not to read your Bibles. I just want you to read elsewhere, not where I'm preaching, okay? Because I love to be the one to tell you the, the great story. I know you're like, Pastor, we know Moses' story. Whatever. Let me pretend, okay, that you don't. Um, honestly, every time, every time I read it, truthfully, I see new things. You know, it's things I didn't notice before. There's no book like the Bible. Can I get an amen yeah. right there? There's no book like the Bible. Every time you read it, you're, you're looking for treasure. I feel like Indiana Jones on the search for some wonderful artifact or treasure. So we're, we're in Egypt together and we're looking at this story of Moses. Was that a little much, Indiana Jones? <laughs> Yes, it's on Netflix now. I've introduced Jack to it, okay, to Indiana Jones. And this morning I caught the little guy uh, running around the living room with a, a strip of something. I think it was actually a strip of that carpet I laid. It's got a rubber backing on it, okay? It's this little fine strip that he got a hold of, and it's his whip. It's his Indiana Jones whip. It was dangerous over there a little bit. We got him got him under control. and uh, he, he actually... It's kind of funny because he knows this story too, the Moses story, and he was talking about, uh, only he thought, I guess maybe he thought the Egyptians were getting whipped. It was really the Hebrews that were getting whipped by the Egyptians and getting abused by them. He said it was his, Kate's going to roll her eyes at this, he was saying that it was his, his Egyptian knocker or something like that. So he's really getting into the spirit of things too with Moses and this, and this story and combine that with the Indiana Jones thing. Yeah, so anyway. Hi, honey. Glad to have you back with us. All right, I'm going to get serious now because she's here. And uh, we're in Exodus chapter 2. And we're, we're talking about how Moses was redeemed. And that's kind of, in a way, that's what his name means. It literally means drawn out. He was rescued or redeemed from the river. And the, the Pharaoh's daughter... Uh, rescued him, and all of Moses' young life, we don't get a lot of details, but we get this sense that he has a desire in his heart to see his people free. Freedom is something that every man desires. All of mankind wants to be free. You and I live in the land of freedom, and God's blessed us with an unusual amount of freedom. So we maybe don't understand the craving to be free like some did, but I'll tell you the Hebrews understood it. And Moses, even though he lives in the palace, even though he's raised in the the Egyptian uh, royal house, he looks at the Hebrew people and he knows they're his people. And he wants them to be free. So much so that he takes matters into his own hands. And he attacks an Egyptian who was beating one of his Hebrew brethren, and Moses kills the man. Buries him in the sand. Well, the next day he pops out, walking around the neighborhood, and he sees two Hebrews, two of his own brethren fighting. And Moses says, hey, why why are you fighting? We're, We're brothers. You guys shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be fighting Egyptians. I think Moses had the idea that his action would, would maybe have started a chain of events that would be like a revolt against the Egyptian people and that his people, the Hebrews, would be free. But that's not what happened. In fact, those Hebrews kind of rebuke Moses and they say, hey, hey man, who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Moses thought no one knew. He, he thought that his, his act was... At least uh, that no one would be upset about it. But now he knows that things are, you know, the word's out. 
Pharaoh finds out about it and he wants to kill Moses. He doesn't care who raised him. He wants to kill Moses. And so Moses is on the run. And look at verse 15. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Reuel, their father, by the way, he's also called Jethro, same guy. He said, how is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto, unto his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. And she bare him a son. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, Under the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we are in awe and amazement of you and your power and your majesty, but also of your care and your love and your attention to the details of our lives. Thank you for what you did for Moses and through Moses and your people Israel. Thank you that you redeemed him and them, redeemed them out of slavery redeem Moses out of the river. And I pray, God, that you would help us to learn and to think here this morning about why you've redeemed us and saved us from our sin if we've put our faith in you. We pray that you would work in our hearts and that you would challenge us. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 63 and verse 7 is a verse that I mentioned to you last week. And it goes like this. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Because thou hast been my help, 
Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's been your help. And if you will submit yourself to him and dwell under his wings, and he wants you to, then you have reason, you will have reason to rejoice. We could say this morning that that dwelling under his wings is you understanding your purpose that you will find in God and then living out the blessings of that. I'm not saying living out the ease that you will find there, though there is protection under his wings, but sometimes he leads us through storms and he leads us through trials and temptations and that's going to come, that's going to happen. Listen, Moses... And this people called Israel, they're about to step under God's wings. And he's going to lead them through some trials like we've never imagined. But there's always cause to rejoice. And God's people, people who've been redeemed, should be people that rejoice. And we should be people that know our God and know what he's called us to do and do it in his strength. We talked about Moses last week and how he tried to do things on his own. You know, he got, he got himself in trouble when he tried to do things on his own. But one thing we learned about Moses, and I want to kind of begin by reviewing this point with you. I, I've got three statements I want to make uh, to you. If, if you remember, this is a part two message. So if you want to hear the first part, um, it might be worth listening to. I don't know. Go back, go to the internet and go to our website and you can listen. I've got it posted and you can listen to last week's message um, about finding God's purpose. And it was kind of a, almost a what not to do kind of message in, in some ways. Well, it's, it's the other side of that today. This is part two, finding purpose for your life. Okay, I've got three statements I want to make to you about finding purpose purpose, God's purpose. The first statement is this, God's purpose for God's people is undeniable. God's purpose for his people is undeniable. It's undeniable in that as we look at the scripture, you see that God has a purpose. He has a reason for saving his people. He has things that he wants us to do. One thing in particular is to be involved as a church, is to be involved in the great mission that God gave the church, and that is to share the gospel here, there, and everywhere. Okay? That is our purpose. We've written out a purpose statement for our church, and it essentially boils down to this. We are disciples making disciples. That's the work that we're to be doing. That's the work God's called us to do. And so we could say that's our purpose. As a whole, collectively. But God wants to use you. He wants individuals to know your part in that, your role in that great plan of His. It's undeniable as we look at the Scripture, but it's also undeniable, I believe, in your heart. Because I believe that God has placed something in your heart. He's, I think there's something inside of Believers that cries out and wants to do what God wants. That's the Holy Spirit working in us and, and wanting to work through us. It's also in Moses' case, I don't even know if he knows God yet at this point when you find him in chapter 2, but he knows that his people should be free and he knows that he should do something about it. He just doesn't know how or what or who. But he tries to do something and he ends up killing a guy. He ends up committing murder. And he's, his goal is for his people to be free. Just look, at, just look at what happens when he goes to the land of Midian. By the way, the land of Midian's just would be just to the east of Egypt, um, right up against the Red Sea. Uh, I should have written down. I looked, I looked it up. Um, there's a, there's a town where, where some Bible scholars believe that Moses' father-in-law lived. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now. It, there's an older name for this city. I don't know 
at what time period it was used, but the last part of the name, it's kind of a hyphenated name, the last part of it actually looked like Midian, spelled a little different, but it looked like Midian, and it's on the coast of the Red Sea, and and they would have their flocks out in the mountains that would be um, back to the, the west of that. But when Moses goes to Midian, he sits down by a well, we see there in verse 15, and here come these seven girls out. This guy probably didn't have, this priest of Midian, Reuel, Jethro, he didn't have any sons, I guess, because he sent his daughters out to keep the flocks and uh, to water the flocks, and they come to this community well. And they come to draw water and fill the troughs, the Bible says. But look at verse 17. There were other shepherds there. And they came and drove them away. These guys are kind of jerks. Hey, not all shepherds are Christmas shepherds, apparently. These are the rude kind. And these shepherds, they don't like, they don't like these women getting there first. This was before, uh, before uh my, my gender had learned ladies first, apparently, okay? So these guys, out of the way, women, we're going to water our flocks first. You can wait. But on this day, there's somebody already sitting at the well, and that's Moses. And what does Moses do? Well, in verse 17, it says he stood up and helped them and watered their flock. I'd like to see how he helped them. Sounds like something out of the Old West, you know. Moses, one guy, stands up to these other shepherds and says, Hey, they were here first. Beat it. Now, let's remember, Moses is a little edgy. Okay? At this point, he's real edgy. Uh, He's on the run. He's a fugitive. And somehow, he just can't stand for these guys to push those lady shepherds, shepherdesses, around. And so, he stands up. Now, why do I bring that out? Well, it's kind of cool because it's in the Bible and we should talk about it. But it's, it's kind of cool anyway that it, that it happens, I think. It tells us something about Moses, his character, but also I think it tells us something about his desire that he has in his heart. He, he doesn't know why and he doesn't know how exactly, but he just knows he's supposed to do things like that. Moses just has this instinct, you might call it, This innate understanding that that's his role in life. To be a protector. To be a rescuer. I don't know if he's conscious of the fact and if he's ever thinking, my life was spared, my life was saved, I should do something. I don't know what was going through his head. But we see his actions. And I think we see something about his heart. Tell you what. (laughs) Moses is a force to be reckoned with at this point. He's a little bit of a dangerous guy at this point. You know, this is the guy. At this point, he's a little bit out of control, you might say. But this is the guy that God says this about in Numbers 12 and verse 3. This is years later. God says, now the man Moses was very meek. Above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. That's what God says about Moses. Meekness is, my favorite definition of meekness is power under control. Power under control. It's, <coughs> meekness is the accelerator on your car. If you fired your car up and dropped it in gear and, and you, had, you had one speed wide open you're not going far. You'll go fast, but not far. Because you're probably headed for the ditch. Especially today. Right? Or maybe today you just go nowhere. <laughs> you just sit there and spin your tires. It's the, it's the bridle and reins on the horse. The horse is a powerful animal. But that power is no good trotting around the pasture. My grandpa called them hay burners. He, never, he, never, he wanted cattle. Because you could make money with cattle. And he said, horses are just hay burners. And, but that horse can do something. There's, he has a, a role to play when you harness all of that power. Moses, he's out of control right now. But he's about to step under God's wing. And allow God 
to grip his reins. I'm telling you, Moses is a powerful person. He's he's a mighty tool in the hands of God, but he's got to put himself there. And I'm saying the same thing about you this morning. You are special. God saved you for a reason. You have skills and abilities. You have traits and things that God has put in you. He's made you a certain way. And listen, we need each other. We need each other right here in this place. Because we make up the body. We have different roles to play. Put yourself under God's control. Allow Him to lead you. And He can do something great through you. Don't ever doubt it. Moses isn't exactly voted most likely to succeed at this moment. Okay? But but in God's hands, it's a different story. Now, God has led Moses to Midian. Okay? And... This, is, this isn't just by chance that he goes there. Because I want you to... It, now, the, God's brief with what he says about Moses' time in Midian. He's there a lot of years. But God gives us a little... Just a few details about it. But Midian is God's training ground for Moses. God has a purpose for Moses... That is something far beyond leading sheep around the desert. But leading sheep around the desert is necessary. For God to get Moses to the point where he can do something with this guy's life. It's preparation. We might call it, we might use this term. Unconscious preparation. Because Moses doesn't even know what he's being prepared for yet. You and I might not know either. But everything we face today is preparation for tomorrow. I think that goes for everybody. Everything we face today is preparation for tomorrow. This is God's training ground. What happens to Moses in Midian? Well, he gets a wife. And he has to learn how to be a husband. He has to learn how to be a father. God gives him a son. I think eventually they have at least two. So he has to learn how to be a dad. He gets a father-in-law. Right? And six sisters-in-law. I never even thought of that till right now. I'm not sure what to make of that. I better not say anything. But he gets a father-in-law... And you know what's neat about all of this? What kind of a home life did Moses have? Strange. Alright? Put it mildly. He, he's raised in a pagan home. He's raised by people that don't know God. I think, I think this priest of Midian knows God um, and is a, someone that worships the one true God and later he comes and joins Moses Um, At least for a time. Um, Moses never had a normal life. He'd never had and probably never had much of a relationship with his own dad. And it's evident, and we'll see this later, as you read on in this story, that that this father-in-law is very influential in Moses' life, and not just in Moses' life, but in, in, in how all of Israel governs itself. This one guy has a lot to do with it. So he's definitely Moses' advisor, and uh, Moses allows him, at a moment where he's ruling over Israel under God, Moses allows his father-in-law to tell him a thing or two. So... Part of our preparation for what God has us to do is learning how to be a friend, a brother and sister in Christ. 
Learning how to function in the body. Hey, this is a family. And families have to get along. You ever been in one that didn't? You ever been at a Thanksgiving dinner that doesn't go well? If we're going to allow God to work through us, we've got to get along. We've got to love each other. Um, We've got to learn how to function as a family. Also part of that preparation is you learning your role in your family. See, we can never separate the work of God or the purpose of God. You can't separate that from your role as a mom or as a dad, as a son, a daughter, a grandparent, okay? As a spouse. You can't separate that. Do not try and compartmentalize your life to where you have my family life and then my God life or whatever you want to call it, your church life. You can't dice it up that way. It's life. It's life. And if you're a Christian, it's the Christian life. Okay? And that's, an, that's all encompassing. Moses maybe isn't thinking about it at this time, but him learning how to be a husband and a dad is vital to what God's going to have him do in the next stage of his life. It's vital. So he's learning some things. Uh, He's learning how to be a shepherd. That is very, very relevant to the work God's going to call him to do. Because instead of leading sheep about the desert, he's going to be leading stubborn people about the desert. He even names his son Gershon, we see here in chapter 2. And uh, that means foreigner, stranger. So Moses is getting settled into this life, this new life that is so very different from Egypt and anything he's experienced before. He's getting settled into it, but you know what? He still feels like he doesn't quite belong here. The fact is he doesn't. He doesn't. He names his son this. He's saying, I'm I'm naming him this because I'm a stranger. We're strangers here. He knows there's something else waiting for him. He just doesn't know what. Yet. Okay? Midian is also not just a training ground for Moses, but it's it's uh, a quiet place for Moses. God needed to get Moses away from Egypt. So Moses can clear his head, be quiet, and then learn to listen. Because God's getting ready to talk to him. I just want you to think about this and I want you to remember that God has you at this moment in your life to prepare you for the next step. He has you just where he wants you to prepare you for the next step. So if you're tempted to feel dissatisfied with where you are right now at this moment in your life, think again. Because it's preparation for what's to come next. So we need to stop fighting what God wants to do in us and where God has us. Now, I'm saying that, I'm not saying that you should, um, in, in one way I think we should be dissatisfied. We should be dissatisfied with, with our own, with the sin. We should be dissatisfied Um, with where we are and that we should always be advancing in our Christian life. And listen, advancing in your Christian life is stepping closer to God and walking with Jesus. Okay? So in that way, we should be dissatisfied. But look, where the job we have, the way our family is right now, trust me, there are some moments where I'd like to and you're, you've, I know I'll be rebuked for this by you who have, who are older than me. But sometimes I'd like to be fast. I'd like to fast forward my kids a little bit and get them past whatever this stage is we're going through with Benjamin right now. Heaven help us, right? Fast forward. 
Or was that a stun gun? No, it wasn't. So, right? You know what I'm saying? You probably felt like that at times. But most, most parents who are further down the road tell me, oh, it's going to go so fast. I've even heard some crazy people say, this is the most wonderful time in your life. It's like, what? It is? So anyway, it's preparation. It's preparation. I do think, I do think terrible twos are probably better than terrible fifteens. Right? Some of you are saying, hey, amen to that. All right. So anyway, uh, now, God, God wants to get our attention. And i got to move on. I had a really cool thing I wanted to tell you about some American generals. But I, I've read this book. But we'll, we'll go on past that. Now, God wants your attention. Okay? I've been reading a book about World War II generals. So it's awesome. But anyway, God wants to get your attention. Does he have it? If he doesn't, he's willing to set something on fire. You ever think about God that way? God wants Moses' attention. Look, I mean, let's look at him. He's, he's verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. That's that quiet place. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Here's the second thing I want you to to know about finding God's purpose. My second statement. God's purpose will become clear When God has your attention. Notice I said it will become clear. That's the beginning. Is you're giving God your attention. God set this bush on fire. And it's burning but it's not being consumed. It's not. The fire's not dying down. And Moses can see this. I've read that in this particular desert. There are all kinds of these scrubby uh, bushes like this and they did catch on fire from time to time and it would spread and it could get ugly and dangerous so Moses sees this and he's probably wondering uh oh but it's not spreading and it's not dying and that that bush just isn't burning up and it's unnatural and he notices it and he so he says I gotta go investigate this God set the bush ablaze but he didn't drag Moses over there against his will did you notice that I mean, in fact, Moses said, God hasn't said a thing yet. But in verse 3, Moses said, I will turn aside and go see this. This great sight, he calls it. Then verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush... And said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. It's not until Moses goes over to investigate that God begins to speak. And I believe that there's a lesson in that for us right there. God wants to have your attention. He's not going to, I mean, maybe in some cases he, he does. And he might knock you over the head. And get your attention. But in this case, he just lights the fire and he waits to see what Moses will do. But Moses does the right thing. He goes to investigate. Moses wants to know something. He's he's a searcher. You and I should have that spirit that just wants to search and know God and know his word. And hear from God. Moses wanted to see the strange sight, and so he went over there. Now listen, God's redeemed you. He has a purpose for your life. God has you in training, but he wants you to seek him. 
The Bible says this in Proverbs 8.17. I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me. God wants you to seek him out and he will make himself known. He wants to be found. I'm glad God operates this way. He doesn't force anyone to do anything. He doesn't force us to listen to him even. Now shame on us if we don't. But also, what a shame to miss out on something wonderful that God has for your life. I think the greatest tragedy that could happen to a born-again Christian is to be saved by the grace of God, but walk through life and never really do what God wants you to do. There's something more than just living day in, day out for ourselves. There's something wonderful waiting for us in this Christian life. And when we know God's purpose, when we're under His wings, there's joy. Not only that, not only would it be a shame for you to miss out on what God has for your life, But if we don't know God's purpose and do it, then we're denying God the glory that is due unto His holy name. Not only that, but you're denying that desire that God's put in your heart. And listen, as you seek Him, as you give Him your undivided attention, He's going to be plugging things into your heart. I'm going to put this here, and I'm going to put that here, and I'm going to give this to you, and now you can go and do it, and I'll go with you. How awesome is that? Third statement, and I'll close with this. God's purpose for you, be careful or you'll miss it. It's so simple. God's purpose for you is found in Him. God's purpose for you is found in Him. If you try to find purpose or meaning in life or your mission in life and anything else other than God, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be disappointed. And it could be destructive. God's purpose for you is found in Him. And we see that right here in the Bible in this text. God calls. Moses answers in verse 4. In verse 5, God begins to teach Moses some lessons about Himself. He doesn't begin with, here's the directions back to Egypt, go. No, He begins by telling Moses some things about Himself. Look at it with me, verse 5. He said, draw not nigh hither. Don't come up close here, Moses. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. What's the first lesson? He's holy. God is holy. Moses needs to know that. Moses is going to come to understand that even more later. As God interacts with him. God is holy. Very simple. In fact, God tell, he's telling Moses to take off his shoes because he's now on holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God's there. That's why it's holy ground. Verse, that's verse 5. Verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Why? Because he understands God's holiness. But in verse 6 also, we're learning something else, that God is faithful. This is a lesson that God's teaching Moses, and he wants you to get a hold of it too, that God is faithful. So how do you see that? Well, he says, I am the God of, and he names Moses' forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, Moses, you know the story. You, you know what your mom's told you. you. You know what the Hebrew people say, that 
that I made a promise to your father, Abraham, the father of the nation. Yes, God made a promise to Abraham that, 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 this, that his family would be a great people, that his family would become a nation, and that that nation would be a blessing to the entire world, and that that nation would be blessed. God's saying to Moses from this burning bush, I haven't forgotten. I know, I remember the promise that I've made. Because you know what was happening back in Egypt and maybe even in Moses' own heart? He was beginning to doubt that God was really going to do anything for them. Oh, maybe they tried to cover it up by saying things like, well, maybe sometime in the future, but we're just going to suffer here now. Maybe sometime in the future God will do something, but I don't think we'll see anything in our lifetime. You know, I hear, I hear people talk that way in our world. I hear Christians talk that way. And uh, I've heard boatloads of pastors talk that way. Like, God can't do anything anymore. Like, well, maybe someday in the future, well, you know, Jesus is coming back soon, and so we should probably just, you know, duck our heads and wait, for, wait to be rescued. That's, that makes me want to throw up. That makes me so discouraged. You want to discourage a young preacher? Talk like that. No, God can God, he, he, he still is working. He still wants to work. He can still do great and mighty things. He's still faithful. What he's done in the past, he can do today. What he's done for you, he can do for anyone. And you were a mess. God's faithful. Look at chapter 2, verse 24. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant. With Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He remembered because he's faithful. And then look at verse 7, back in chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You know what that verse spells out? That God is loving. This is the third lesson Moses is learning at the burning bush. God is holy, God is faithful, and God is loving. It's really that simple. We need to be assured of these things, these truths, or you might call them attributes of God. That He is holy, that He is faithful, and that He is loving. I mean, in this one verse, verse 7, we see so much about our God. About their God as well, that... Just look at the, uh, the verbs here. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction. God's watching. In fact, for, for the 400 years that these people have lived in Egypt, His eyes have never been off of them. He says, I see. I've seen the affliction. Moses has seen it too, and he tried to do something about it. The cart was ahead of the horse. But now things are getting lined up. God says, I see too. I think for Moses, he's probably sitting there with his shoes off and he's thinking, I knew it. I knew you were what I knew something was going to happen. This is, like, this is like one of those moments for Moses. I knew it. I knew something was going to happen. I knew God was going to do something. And he's beginning to do it. I think Moses is excited right now. He's scared to death, but he's excited. Because he says, God's seen what I've seen. Praise God, Moses walked around with his eyes open. Uh, he says in verse 7, I've heard their cry. God hears. What, their cry, what is their cry? Somebody's been praying. Probably, probably Moses' mom. What do you bet she's praying? His siblings, maybe. Somebody's been doing some praying. God says, I've heard their cry. The whips are coming down their back and the people are crying out, God, save us. He hears their cry and he, hear, he hears yours too. And we're assured of his love. And then verse 7 it says, 
for I know their sorrows. He knows. God knows what's going on. Isn't it funny how quick we can doubt it? Oh, we could teach this lesson to the Sunday school kids and we could, you know, smile and say, God knows everything. But we forget. We act like that's not true. And so God's just reminding us that He knows what's happening. He knows what we're going through. In verse 8, He says, For I am come down. Hold it right there. Makes me want to take my shoes off. He's come down. You know what? God shows us His love by moving. By moving in. God says, I'm here now. And... Pharaoh better look out, because God just showed up. Hallelujah. You know, when we have a church service, when we get together, when we open God's word, our, our heart's desire and prayer should be, God, you come down. You come to our meeting. Make yourself known in our presence. Make your presence known to us as we're together. He moves in verse 8. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and flowing with milk and honey. He says, I'm coming. No, he says, I've come. I'm here. And it's time to begin to deliver the people all the way to the promised land. Notice he moves himself, but he's moving others too. This is how he works. This is where you and I meet his purpose. This is where we step into it. He's moving himself and he's moving others and he wants to move you and me. Look at verse 10. Come now therefore... And I will send thee unto Pharaoh. God is loving. He does all these things. He sees, he hears, he looks, he cares, he knows, he moves. But he also calls. He calls. And every one of us who name the name of Christ are called. My calling is no different than yours. So yeah, it is. You're the pastor. Yeah, but I'm called to serve Jesus. I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm called to proclaim the gospel. And so are you. All of those things. You've been called. We've been called to make a difference in the lives of people. And to allow God to do that through us. What's his, his call is this. Because he, he just laid it out. He just told Moses, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Now you come with me. The call is to join him. To join up with him. Say, I'm going with you. I'm going where you're going. We'll have to see next week how Moses handles this. It's a whole lot that's just put, been put on him. And maybe you feel like this is a whole lot. That's just been put on you. So we'll just stop right here. And we'll let God sink this truth. And let our hearts marinate in this truth a little bit. But I want to be real clear about it. I said God's purpose for you is found in Him. Well if you're waiting for a bush to catch on fire. No. We have something greater than a bush. In the, same, in the same text in Numbers chapter 12, where God says to Moses, or where God's, he's actually talking to Moses' brother and sister. They're trying to rebuke Moses. And God says a couple things there in Numbers 12. He says Moses is the meekest man. But he also says, now if I want to speak to a, I'm paraphrasing here, if I want to speak to a prophet, God says, 
I can speak to him by dreams and visions. But I talk with Moses face to face. Wow. When you open up this treasure book and read the Bible, it's as if God is talking face to face with you. Because see, dreams and visions can be taken the wrong way, right? Or misinterpreted. But God says that this is a more sure word of prophecy. It's just like God talking to Moses face to face. And God's saying, don't doubt what he tells you. Don't question what he tells you. Because I'm talking to him face to face. You're knowing God's purpose for your life has everything to do with your communicating with God. And God communicating with you. Say, are you serious? Did you really just bring all this right down to read your Bible and pray every day? You better believe it. That's it. Does he have your attention? Will you? If he does, then you'll spend time with him. You'll open the book, and you'll let the book open you. You'll speak to him, and he will speak to you. And he will guide you into that purpose. That he has for your life. And it's exciting. Sometimes scary. But always exciting. If we look at it the right way. Man is it easy. To get your head turned. And to look at everything else. Happens to me too. To get. Your head turned. And to be distracted. So. Let's walk on together. If we've been redeemed, it's for a purpose. Let's endeavor to find it. And if you don't know what that means to be redeemed, if you don't know that your sin has been forgiven, and that this wonderful God I'm talking about is your Savior, oh, He wants you to know, and I'd love to help you know. And I wouldn't leave this place till I understood what that meant. So I invite you to come and talk with me or... or or one of us that know him, and we could direct you to him. Let's stand together.